introduce a, the first part of a series uh, that, that I would like to do. It'll be a little bit of preaching, a uh, combination of preaching and teaching on where to go and how to get there. And for those of you that were here two Wednesday nights ago will remember, I ask each of you to go home either as an individual, husband and wife, however it works, and I ask you to sit down and write out a personal vision that you have, that things that you would like to achieve, things that you'd like to see come to pass in your life and in your family and so on, a personal vision for the next two years. And uh, I ask you to do that. I'm not going to ask a show of hands as to how many people did it, but I'm going to remind you of it. Tonight you'll understand why I'm asking you to do that. I'm not going to read our scripture text tonight. I'll just remind you that our scripture text was when uh, Elijah had been uh, surrounded, or excuse me, Elisha had been surrounded by the Syrians and uh, to take them out and his little servant man just really kind of freaked out over the whole thing that we're going to die today and it's no hope, we're going to give up and quit. And God said, or Elijah prayed, God, open his eyes and let him see what I see. And God did that, and uh, they were surrounded. The hillside was surrounded with angels and chariots and what have you, and they didn't have anything to worry about. That's our scripture setting uh, tonight, and uh, I want to get to the point. I'm praying. I've been praying. Uh, I feel like I'm very much of a visionary man. I'm never happy with status quo, never happy with status quo. Our church is doing great. Our attendance has been great. There's a lot of awesome things happening, but I'm not satisfied. I want more. I want everything God can give us uh, that God will bless us with. I want, I want the best that heaven has to offer. So as a church, at the end of last year, you'll remember we had a service where we did vision casting. And uh, you got a glimpse of what's going on in my mind with our, our pastor staff here and things that we're praying for, things that we're, we're planning and trying to, to plan in our services, incorporating our vision, of course, goes without saying, every possible way that God can move. That's our desire. We want to create every opportunity, every possible way for God to have his way here at Grace and in our community. So, and I ask you again, I'll repeat, two Wednesday nights ago, I asked you to go home and write out a vision for you personally or one for your family for where you would like to be spiritually in two years. This is why I wanted you to do that. When you, when you become a visionary person, when you become a person of vision, and you begin to see beyond the immediate present, when you go beyond that, you'll begin to see that instead of your circumstances controlling you, you begin to control your circumstances. When you get your eyes set on a mark or a place, this is Bible, Paul said, I press towards the mark, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's a place he was trying to attain, and his life, his plans, his, the way he thought, the way he pursued, etc., was designed for him to ultimately reach that point before he died. I believe he did. So when you begin to develop vision, I hope all of you listen, and this is not hard. It's something everybody in this church can do, and I would to God that everybody in this church will do it. You need a personal vision for your spiritual development. I told somebody the other day, I believe it was this past Sunday, that a lot of, of, of and I'm going to say United Pentecostal or Apostolic Church atmospheres, they all have a tendency somehow to squelch people. They're, they're, they don't allow you to grow. Uh, they don't encourage spiritual growth. They don't encourage spiritual development. Not spiritual growth based on your preferences and what you think. It's God leading you to a point. It's you're, you're sold out and you're following God wherever he wants you to go. They don't really encourage that. For whatever reason, Pentecostal environments have a hard time with that. And um, I want to, to do away with that here at Grace. I want everyone to feel liberty 
to develop your gifting, to develop your spirituality, to develop a prayer life, to develop uh, habits of Bible reading, to become effective as a witness or a soul winner. It's another huge thing that is so latent and, and unbothered in Pentecostal circles is how to reach other people. We direct the gospel inward, and we're satisfied with that. And we don't understand that the point that God saved you was to go make disciples elsewhere. You know, you reach people and so on. But if you're going to be a visionary person, listen to Pastor very carefully. If you're going to be a visionary person, first of all, you must know what your destination is. If I ask you for a show of hands here tonight, there's going to be two or three people that would raise their hands and say they do this. I do know people that typically want to go on vacation. They pack up their car, and when they pull out of the driveway, they just turn in some random direction, and they don't know where they're going. They don't know where they're going to end up. They don't want the pressure of having to get to XYZ City by sundown. So we're just going to go where we want to go and do what we want to do. There's always a few of those in every crowd. I think you need help, you need therapy, counseling, something along that line. I don't think that way. If I'm going somewhere, if I'm going to pack up the car, take time off, go through all the planning of having someone fill in in my absence and da-da-da-da-da and do all that stuff, I'm going to know where I'm going when I leave. Now that's good common sense, I think, the way I look at it. You've got to have a destination. Life is a journey. And as you know, every journey has a destination. We're going to spend some time here tonight discussing our destination. Not heaven and hell, but your destination in life. Where will you end up in the various roles that you play? What will you accomplish with your life personally, professionally, domestically, and most importantly, spiritually? Everybody that lives life ends up somewhere in life. A few of those end up somewhere on purpose. Everybody get that? Everybody ends up somewhere in life. A few people end up somewhere on purpose. Those are the ones with vision. People who end up at a destination on purpose are people of vision. They may have other things going for them as well, but they certainly have vision. And listen to pastor here tonight. Not necessarily a vision, singular, but vision for each of the key roles that they are assigned along the way. Life is a multifaceted journey, so it calls for multifaceted vision. I find it very interesting that there's a good number of people even here tonight that have spent more time planning your retirement than you have the development of your spirituality. That's the way we think in our culture. Spirituality is neglected and it's lived from day to day and all that kind of stuff. I got to hurry. If you can understand with me tonight that life is a multifaceted journey and it calls for multifaceted vision. What I'm simply saying is you have to have a vision for retirement. You have to have a vision for how you want to advance and, and, and go up the, 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 the ladder of success. You want to know about promotions on your job and the possibility of those. I hope you're thinking about the development of your children so you have a, a little vision for them. You want to see them end up somewhere on purpose. And uh, you want to see uh, your marriage do better on purpose. Uh, you just want things to go well. Well, we need to do that on a spiritual level. You, we need to become more visual people when it comes to vision. So I'm going to ask you here tonight, spiritually speaking, what do you want to end up as? As a child of God here tonight, what would you like to end up as? If I preach your funeral, what would you like to have me say without bribery? Or without lying. 
she was a prayer warrior. Even though she hadn't prayed a total of five minutes for the past 20 years, that five minutes, she was a real prayer warrior. What do you want to end up as? What do you want to be? Listen to pastor here tonight. There's a difference between filling bags with sand and then taking those bags and building a dike in order to save a town. So if you approach filling bags with sand, there's nothing glamorous about it. There's nothing fulfilling or rewarding about for hours kneeling on the ground next to a sand pile, filling bags up with sand. But if you know you're doing it to save a city from disaster, then it takes on a different meaning, doesn't it? You have to see visionary to a destination. So if Central is about to flood, the mayor is calling everybody he can to come fill bags with sand to save our city, we'll all rush out there, we'll work till our fingers bleed to save our city. But if the mayor says we need somebody to come, we need to stockpile sandbags, well, how many would come out and help? Hardly any would show up. It's because we don't understand vision and being prepared for any eventuality that life may bring to us. You must be visionary, especially spiritually. Vision brings your world into focus. Vision brings order to chaos. A clear vision enables you to see everything differently. So specifically here tonight, vision weaves four things into the fabric of our daily experience. If you want to become a visionary, you must first have a destination. But there's four things that you must understand when you have that destination set in your mind. First of all, you must be passionate. You have to have passion if you're going to arrive at your destination. Viktor Frankl was an Austrian psychologist who survived the death camps of Nazi Germany. He made a, signif a significant discovery. He found within himself the capacity to rise above his incredibly humiliating circumstances. He became an observer of those circumstances as well as a participant in the experience. He began to watch others who shared in the ordeal. He was intrigued with the question of what made it possible for some of those people to survive when most everybody around them was dying. He looked at several factors. First of all, there was health and vitality and family structure and intelligence. There were survival skills. But finally, he concluded that none of these factors was primarily responsible. The single most significant factor he realized was a sense of future vision, the impelling conviction of those who were to survive. They had to have a mission to perform. They had to have a desire to take on what they felt was important work that was still left for them to do when that ordeal was over. They were visionaries. They could see beyond the concentration camps. You say, well, that's stupid. They're hopeless, man. They're killing these people by the thousands every day. Tomorrow you're going to be next. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. When you're a visionary person and you, you can see beyond, there's still hope in the future. There's still You still have a little bit of control. Your, your circumstance is not controlling the way you think, but you're taking control of your circumstance and you begin to say, when I get out of here, I'm going to be, in his case, a better psychologist. I'm going to be a better carpenter. I'm going to be a better painter. I'm going to be a better mechanic. I'm going to be a better this. I'm going to be a better that. You, you think beyond the cruelty of the circumstance you're currently living in. And you have to be passionate about it. He noticed that's what kept these people alive. Survivors of the POW camps in Vietnam and elsewhere have reported similar experience. It's a compelling Future-oriented vision is the primary force that have kept many of these people alive. 
we all have some vision of ourself and our future. And that vision creates consequences. More than any other factor, vision affects the choices we make and the way we spend our time. So if you want to go to a destination, you want to be visionary, you have to have a destination. You have to be passionate about that destination. But I want you to notice, if your vision is limited, if your vision, if your idea about your future doesn't extend beyond the Friday night ball game or the next TV reality show, you're not going to make it. You, you, we tend to make choices based on what's right in front of us. We react to whatever's urgent. We react to the impulse of the moment, our feelings, our moods, our limited awareness of our options, and then other people's priorities. All these things get in our way. I hope you're hearing me tonight. I'm pouring my heart out the best I can. If you don't get it, go to our website when it's posted on the website and listen to it again. Most people that struggle with vision, that struggle with destination, that, that have no passion to ever get to that destination, they become influenced and, and they react to whatever's urgent. It's the impulse of the moment. They react to their feeling or their mood. And if I don't feel like it, I'm not going to do it. And if I'm not the mood to do it, I'm sure not going to do it. And they, they, under, they, they don't understand how their limited awareness of their options are just closing in on them and just keeping a clamp. I see this happen week in and week out to some great church people. They can never see themselves and their relationship with God and the impact of the kingdom of God more, any more, than what they're doing right now. And they always blame their circumstances. We vacillate. We fluctuate. We're up and down, up and down, hot, cold, hot, cold, whatever. How we feel about our decisions and even the way we make them with most people changes every single day. We get all fired up. How many times, those of you who's been around Pentecost for a long time, how many times you see people come to the altar and they pray through to a rich experience in the Holy Ghost, and man, I'm determined. There's people here tonight that's done it. I'm determined. I'm going to do the right thing, man. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to stay fired up. Nothing is going to take me out this time. Nothing's going to get me down this time. Three months later, they're right back where they started. Why? Why does that happen? Because they don't develop a vision. And they react to their circumstances. They react to the priorities in other people's lives. And they forget about their spirituality. And they just somehow just settle on back in to that lukewarm state they were before. It's a lack of vision. And it's a lack of passion about whatever vision they had. So vision's limited. Number two, if our vision is based on illusion. We make choices sometimes that are not based on true north principles. In time, these choices fail to create the quality of life results that we expect. So our vision becomes no more than platitudes. We become disillusioned and even cynical. Our creative imagination withers away to nothing, and we don't trust our dreams anymore. And you're looking at a pastor that's weary of watching this happen to some incredible church people. I want everybody here tonight to go home tonight and sit down or tomorrow whenever you can and start writing out a vision of where you would like to be in Jesus two years from now. Just think about it. Think about the possibilities. Think about the potential. Most of you know what your giftings are. You know the kind of direction God kind of wants you to be in. There's people here tonight that could teach home Bible studies out of the wazoo if you'll excuse my expression. There's Sunday school teachers here, and there's church leaders, and there's board members, and there's secretaries, and, and there's all kind of people here tonight, but we have no vision. And we want to, there's sometimes something to rise up and say, oh, God, help me to do that. He will. But you have to develop a destination that, God, this is what I want to be. With the help of God, I'm going to get there, and I'm going to stay passionate about it. And I am not going to be limited in my vision, and neither is my vision going to be based on illusion the third thing that can't happen with visionary people is that your vision is partial if we focus only on our economic and social needs 
and ignore our mental and spiritual needs, for example, we make choices that lead to imbalance. So there's people here tonight, financially speaking, you're filthy rich. Spiritually speaking, you're a beggar. There's an imbalance. You put all your eggs in one basket, thinking, if I can make a lot of money, man, if I can put a lot of money in the bank, I'll be happy. But when you come to church and you realize you hadn't won a soul in 30 years, oh, God, I feel so guilty I'm going to. Oh, God. And we throw our hands up and quit and say there's just no use. And I say no a thousand times. No a thousand times. No. Everybody here tonight. Everybody. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your circumstances have been. You can, you can sit down tonight and say, by the help of God, two years from now, this is where I'm going to be spiritually. Make up your mind. I made up mine's hard to, uh, to stop. Especially when it's been empowered by the Holy Ghost. The fourth thing that can hinder the development of your vision is when your vision is based on the social mirror. And this is what I want you folks to hear. We make choices. All of us do it. We make choices based on the expectations of others. Well, my husband wants me to do it this way. My wife wants me to do it that way. My husband said I don't need to be doing that. My wife said I don't need to be doing that. My kids have taught me that. When are you going to make decisions? Do you have a brain? Or did somebody do a frontal lobotomy on you? Where they take out that front part of your brain that thinks. I'm not trying to be crude here tonight, but we just walk around and somebody says, nope, don't go there, okay. Hope, oh, don't, don't do that, don't do it. There's people here tonight who are the people that have loved them the most, that have cared for them or should have cared for them the most, were spoken of by the influence of negative pessimism. And they think, I can never be any more than what I am now. That's what my daddy told me all my life. It's vision based on a social mirror. It's our, if, if our self-vision is no more than a reflection of a social mirror, we have no connection with our inner self, with our own uniqueness and capacity to contribute. We're living out the scripts that are handed to us by others, by our family, by associates, by friends, even by enemies, even by the media. And what are these scripts that we live by? Listen to pastor tonight. Some may seem constructive where parents, family, friends, associates, Whatever tells you you're so talented. You are a natural ball player. Man, I always said you should be a doctor. There's all that positive stuff. It may be true, it may not be. Most of the time it's not. Delusional. But then there's the destructive criticism, and this is what's so damaging is when, and I've heard parents say it. I've heard parents live it out as a, a, a human example in front of their kids. It says, you're just so slow. You can't do anything right. Why can't you be more like your sibling who's virtually perfect? People grow up in those environments. You listen to me here tonight. I know what I'm talking about. Your upbringing oftentimes is a byproduct, or, or excuse me, your upbringing oftentimes becomes your example in spirituality. When, Je when the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray, and he said, pray after this manner, our Father which art in heaven, I've had people sit in my office and sob and say the last thing I want to say is any sentence with the word Father in it because mine abused me and beat me and neglected me and told me I was hopeless and useless and told me I was a loser and I was a black sheep of the family and all of that stuff. I'm here to tell you tonight with the empowerment of the Holy Ghost and a made-up mind, you can become passionate about your vision for your journey, for your destination. And with the help of God, nobody can stop you. And the Bible is full of hundreds of examples of people who exceeded their upbringing 
in their circumstances and became giants for God. Then when you consider the images that the media projects, cynicism, skepticism, violence, indulgence, fatalism, materialism, when you get a news alert or a news bulletin, it's usually bad news. If these images are the source of our personal vision, is it any wonder why that many of us feel so disconnected and at odds with ourselves? When we talk about the passion of vision, I'm talking about a deep, sustained energy that comes from a comprehensive, principle-based, need-based, endowment-based seeing that goes beyond this present moment and this present circumstance. We don't understand the content of the scripture that's been quoted for us all of our lives. Greater is he that is in me. We're always overpowered by our circumstances. We're always overpowered by our past. We're always overpowered by situations. We're always overpowered by the this failed and that was wrong and this wasn't done right. We're overpowered by that. So we just throw our hands up and surrender to spiritual mediocrity. And, and, and God is screaming, you don't understand. I'm greater in you than all of these things that are around you. Passion of vision taps into the deep core of who we are and what we're really about. It's fueled by the realization of the unique contribution we have when, when we understand that we have the capacity to make the legacy a legacy that we can leave behind. Passion of vision clarifies purpose. It gives direction and it empowers us to perform beyond our resources. We call it passion because this vision can become a motivating force so powerful in effect, it literally becomes the DNA of who we are. Say, Brother Murphy, I don't know if I believe all that stuff. Have you ever read the story of Paul lately? Do you know what from his birth he was programmed to do all of his life? And it finally came to fruition when he was arresting Christian people and burning them and killing them and whatever, feeding them to lions. Have you read any of his books lately? through a passion of vision for himself and defeating the utter, utter guilt and condemnation that he experienced every single day of his life over killing and murdering innocent people by the hundreds. He overcame that and a true Christian spirit and empowerment of the Holy Ghost literally became his DNA because he had passion of vision I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to put behind me my past of murdering and killing and burning and watching people being eaten by lions. I'm putting all that behind me. And I'm going to develop a vision of true purpose and power, a vision with destination. It doesn't matter how I die. It just matters to me who I am when I do. on the inside passionate vision is so integrated and, and ingrained into every aspect of our being that it becomes the compelling impetus behind every decision we make everything revolves around our passion for vision it's the energy that makes life an adventure the deep burning yes that empowers us to say no peacefully and confidently to the less important things of our life. This passion can empower us to literally transcend fear, doubt, discouragement, and many other things that keep us from accomplishment and contribution. The passion of shared vision empowers people to transcend the petty, the negative interactions that consume so much time and effort and deplete quality of life. It elevates our thinking. Passion for vision. Vision evokes emotion. And there's no such thing as an emotionless vision. Think about your daydreams, folks. Think about the thing that makes daydreaming so enjoyable. That's the emotion that piggybacks 
on those things that your mind's eye sees. We allow our thoughts to wander outside the walls of reality. Our feelings are quick to follow. A clear focused vision actually allows us to experience ahead of time the emotions associated with our anticipated future. These emotions serve to reinforce our commitment to the vision. They provide a sneak preview of things to come. Even the most lifeless, meaningless task or routine can begin to feel good when it's, when it's attached to a passionate vision. And though the avenue of, 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 or through the avenue of vision, the feelings reserved for tomorrow are channeled back into our present reality. Vision is always accompanied by strong emotion. And the clearer the vision, the stronger the emotion. So now you understand when your city is on the verge of being flooded out by water, it's not a drudgery to go fill the bags with sand. Because there's inspired purpose. There's inspired meaning behind it. to tell you those that's been a part of our church for a while I stood in the I stood in the pulpit Melanie you'll remember it I'm confident you will others here tonight brother and sister Nixon will but I stood in that pulpit staring at 50 people in that small in that small building Sunday after Sunday and preached my guts out it ain't gonna always be this way I see something bigger I see something greater something of more impact there's people here tonight that can witness. I remember when we lost a third of our church uh, in, in, a, in a matter of two weeks, at least 25%. I'll reduce the value uh, to make it more believable, perhaps. We lost 25% of our church in two weeks. Got in the pulpit on the second Sunday. I was dying on the inside. I was hurting so bad I didn't know what to do. I wanted to quit. I wanted to give up. But you don't understand the passion that accompanies vision that says, I can't quit. I can't quit. I'm not going to let my circumstances overtake me, but I'm going to overtake my circumstances. I'll never forget it. I'm not putting a bow in my bonnet, but I walked to the pulpit that morning and preached like the house was on fire, staring at empty pews where people just last Sunday sat and worshiped God. But I refused. I refused to cave in. I refused to, to quit because I had a vision. I was passionate about my vision. And it took me 18 years to get here. But by God, we made it. And it's still going on. I'm not done yet. You don't know everything that I'm thinking, but I ain't happy with the church of 170. I ain't happy with 200. I ain't happy with 300. I ain't happy with 500. I'm not out, out for numbers. I'm out for people and the souls of men and women that need God. And we've got to have a vision. And you need one that's personal. Come on, folks. Somebody get behind Pastor tonight. We have to sit down and think, where could I be? What could I do? What could I be involved with two years from now if I had a vision? Can I keep going for a minute? My time's up, but I can't stop here. Not only do we need passion, but we need motivation. Just keep you to get up every day in the face of hell itself. Just keep going. Just keep going. Somebody told me this morning, I believe it was Brother Steve told me this morning, sometimes you feel like you're showing up at hell with a bucket of water. What you need. I feel like I've had a few of those moments. But I'm tapped into a supply source if I can keep my head on telling you folks, God empowers us with the Holy Ghost to do what I'm preaching to tonight. If you'll buy into it and you'll let the Holy Ghost work, you'll look back one day and say, I can't believe I ever had that perspective. No wonder God couldn't do anything through me. I was a Holy Ghost filled mannequin. You know, I think sometimes the reason God has introduced speaking in tongues because he likes to see mannequins talk. Can't get you to do much else, but <laughs> I can take over your mouth anyway for a few seconds. <laughs> we need to be motivated in vision. Vision. Vision provides motivation. In, in passionate vision, 
the mundane begins to matter. The mundane is important. The details, the chores, the routines of life become a worthwhile means to a planned for end. people that build uh, the dike around their city, the levee around their city. Levee builders are real highly motivated people. They've got a task and they realize that time is not their friend. And if they're going to save their house and hundreds and hundreds of countless others, you better start filling them bags out this morning, buddy, when you get motivated. The flood's on the way. And it's depending on you, your city, counting on you to save them from the floodwaters of destruction. Saving a town, a city, a community is enough to keep you working through the night. But just filling bags of sand for the sake of filling bags of sand will leave you looking at your watch. But when you know the flood's coming, it changes everything. Vision-driven people are motivated people. Find me a man or a woman who lacks motivation and I'll show you someone with little or no vision. Ideas, yes. Dreams, maybe. Vision, not a chance. You've got to be motivated. Vision is a big part of the reason you completed college or graduate school. A lack of vision is a reason many never finish. Think of all the seemingly wasted hours of study and class time. Even then you knew that much of what you were memorizing for tests was a waste of time and effort. You'll never use it again. But you did it. Why? Why did you go through those agonizing moments when you were in college? Why did you do it? Because of what could be. It's a degree, Pastor, and beyond a degree, a career for, for four and in some cases five long years. You endured science labs and European history and research papers and lectures. And you hung in there through it all, motivated by the thought of graduation and the rewards that would produce in your life. Motivated. It's the power. Motivation is the power. Vision. The third thing that you have to know about vision is you got to have direction. Maybe the most practical advantage of vision is it sets a direction for your life. It serves as a roadmap. In this way, vision simplifies decision-making. Anything that moves us towards the realization of our vision gets a green light. Everything else is approached with caution. Vision will prioritize your values. A clear vision has the power to bring what's most important to the surface of your schedule and lifestyle. A clear vision makes it easy to weed out of your life those things that stand in the way of achieving what matters most. Vision empowers you to move purposefully and, and in a predetermined direction. Once you have clarified your vision or visions for your life, many decisions are already made. Without vision, good things will hinder you from achieving the best things without vision. Vision is the key to vision is the key to faithfulness. My observation is that people without clear vision are easily distracted. They have a tendency to drift from one activity, pleasure, or relationship to another. Without vision, there's no relational, financial, or moral compass. Consequently, they often make foolish decisions, decisions that rob them of their dream. And then the fourth thing about vision, and I'm trying to hurry just quickly. I'll get past. Vision translates into purpose. A vision gives you a reason to get up in the morning. If you don't show up, something important won't be accomplished. Suddenly you matter. Suddenly you have value. Suddenly what you do counts. Suddenly what you do is important. All of a sudden, filling bags with sand has meaning and purpose and importance and value. It has priority. You realize that you matter a lot. You are valuable to the kingdom. You do count. It does matter when you're here or not. It does matter when you're on top of your game or not. 
It does matter when you're plugged in or not. Without you, what could be? Without you, what should be, won't be. A vision makes you an important link between current reality and the future. That dynamic gives your life purpose. And purpose carries with it the momentum to move you through the barriers that would otherwise slow you down and trip you up. Your set of visions is unique to you. No one else will share your particular passion for what could be. Others may applaud your vision. They may buy into the aspects of your vision that interface with their life. And they may work with you in the areas where you share a common vision. But your vision set is unique to you. This uniqueness gives your life purpose. Listen to me, child of God. You have a reason for getting up and showing up. If you have vision, you've got to have vision. There's people here tonight, if you were honest, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm not done. Well, I'll finish it next Wednesday morning. Next Wednesday, I'll talk to you about the divine element. But I know tonight that I'm, I'm working with mindset and perspectives in people that's been like this for years. Church culture to you is something you do every Sunday and once in a while on Wednesday night when it's convenient. And you come to church with a tithing envelope and you put that in the offering plate and you worship God for probably a grand total of maybe a minute, if that much. And you go home and say, I'm so thankful to be a child of God. And there's people here tonight that have repeated that activity for 20 and 30 years. When God has been shouting from heaven, I could do so much more with you and through you. If I could break through that cranium of yours and let you see things about your life like I see them. You're looking at a man tonight. God just dawned on me. I'm all dressed in black tonight. That wasn't a good choice. My outfit sure don't go along with what I'm. It looks like I'm preparing for my own funeral or something. But, <clears throat> but you're looking at a man tonight that has fought with every fiber in me to literally change the person that I was born with. When I reached the age of 17, 18, 19 years old, I summarily hated people just across the board. I don't want to fool with you. I don't like you. You're, you're not pretty. You're not nice looking. Just, I won't fool with you. If you people really knew the Glenn Murphy that used to exist, you wouldn't believe it. I know I'm long-winded, and I'm being long-winded tonight. Thank you very much. You don't have to tell me after church. There was a time in my life when if I was asked to come stand behind the pulpit, I'd have passed out and you'd have to do CPR. And, and it wasn't necessarily because I was afraid to get up in front of people. I just thought everything I said was stupid. It was a weird complex that you go sit down and invariably, if my pastor got fired up and wanted somebody to testify, it was always me. And I would hide behind people. And he had, it's like he could see through them. Brother Glenn, stand and testify tonight. You know, a little warning would be nice. I have no clue what you want me to say. I don't know what you're after. Besides that, I don't want to. Number two, I don't even think that way. And you're asking me to do something that's totally beyond myself. And when I sit down, I'm going to look at those three or 400 people that were there that night and heard what I just said. And I'm going to watch them laugh and giggle at how stupid he was. And I can't believe the pastor ever called on him. I thought that way for a long time. Does anybody get me? Somebody told me one time, and I've never forgotten it. I smell what you're stepping in. Thank you very much. Awesome. Does anybody get me here tonight? The Holy Ghost can literally empower anybody and everybody in this building tonight. 
and it can literally change your DNA today. From bashful, shy, introvert, selfish. I wanted to say stupid, but I, I don't really want to go that far. You might have to do a little work. Learn to read, add, multiply, divide, whatever. But there's people here tonight. The vast majority of people tonight have no idea what you can do for the Lord. If God will just give you a step, if you feel free now, God, 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 open their eyes. Say, Pastor, you don't understand. I've been like this for 20 years. I was that way for 20 years. I was born that way, man. Your story don't top mine. Don't even try. I grew up in a good home and we, we were poor as I don't know what, but it was a good home, a good mom and dad, and, and, and a lot of bad things didn't happen to me. But I was never told virtually by anybody, no one, that you would ever amount to anything beyond a nincompoop. I say this in all due respect to my pastor who I love very, very much to this day and will to my dying day. Brother Curtis Young put more in me than you can ever imagine. I've written him two or three very long letters expressing my gratitude. But I remember when I was, and no offense, Brother Brian and Sister Nancy, the no tears in heaven people. If they lose out with God, there'll be no tears in heaven, y'all hear me? I wasn't the first. That's the only thing that disappoints me. He deflated me Sunday morning. I appreciate it, Pastor, but you wasn't the first. Step it up a little bit next time, man. Flatter the ego a little bit. I need all the help I can get. But no offense to you guys. They have a son named Eli. But Brother Young used to call me Eli. And I got curious about it because I was pretty ignorant back in those days. I really didn't even know who Eli was. I heard the name, didn't know who he was. So I did a study in Scripture. Here's a big fat guy that passed out on the stool and died when he hit the floor because his son were committing fornication with women in the lobby of the church. Thank you, Pastor. Any more compliments you want to send our way? Just call me a loser next time. Good for nothing piece of humanity that's not going to ever amount to anything. But something started happening within me that came, it accompanied my calling to the ministry. That it seemed like the more, and this ain't a martyr story, it's a success story. But it, it, the more people put me down and thought I was an idiot and whatever and I'm probably self-imposing a lot of this I can't really tell y'all that many people that said it I was just one of these kind of people I could tell by the way they looked at me I want no one from my past participating in my funeral because all I hear from people that knew me when I was a kid was these bonehead things I used to do in church but there just seemed to be something on the inside of me that came with the cause of the ministry is that the more you did that for me, the more determined I got to change it. You folks don't understand. I'm sorry to y'all. I'm trying to explain it in a kind of a weird way, but I just reached the point, Sister Sheila. She knows me from those days. Deeply regret. Welcome to grace, by the way. Welcome to grace. Uh, but it just seemed like the more I felt like people were beating me up because I was weird and all that, the more determined it made me. And I hated my job. I loved what I did, but I never liked where I worked. I don't know if that makes sense. Just tough situation. But I determined I got to get in a pulpit. I'd watch those preachers get in that pulpit with their nice white cloth shirts and them pretty neckties and I actually began to think in my early 20s, I think I can do that. Y'all have no idea what it took for me to do that. But I got to get in the pulpit. And I refuse, excuse my expression, but come hell or high water, nothing was going to stop me now. I've come too far. And all the things just about my personality and my makeup and my DNA and my circumstances and my daddy died and my mother married another guy and it was all legal and whatever, but all that was weird. Watching your mother kiss another man was just crazy and it 
couldn't get my head around that. And he died, and she married another one. I told her she don't quit. Her tombstone's going to look like a telephone directory. <laughs> Thinking, dear God, could all of these things. But Brother Merrill, I had a glimpse of what God wanted to make out of my life. And so I remember that day. I'll never forget when I said, okay, God. Begin to pursue her from the distance. And I don't know that I've, I don't pastor the biggest church, but I've pastored several. And how you people have responded so incredibly to a weird guy like me is still amazing. And you come back every Sunday for weirdness, and I guess it's kind of entertaining to a point, I don't know. There's a passion in me, Brother Jason, and I can't describe it. Motivated. Passion purpose and I can't quit neither can I quit tonight go home tonight and before you go to bed get your sheet of paper and in one paragraph write where I would like to be soon be surprised what you can do if you've never done it. And there's a lot of things that should be, but they never will be if you don't do it. There's a where to go and how to get there. Next Wednesday night, I want to talk to you about the divine help that you'll get in the development of your vision. Stand with me tonight. I've gone way too long. Thanks for your patience. I'm sorry. I promise you here tonight that if, if I can get 10 people, if I can get 10 people on board with what I'm, I'm preaching here tonight with everything I have in me, if I can get 10 people on board, we could turn this city upside down between now and the end of the year. This building would be packed out. I mean, ten. I remember Brother Young preached one night on vision, revival, growth. And what puzzled me is because at that time we were having it. But he wasn't satisfied, and I understand now what he was doing. The building was packed out, and he made the statement. He said, I would crawl on my knees on glass from one end of this city to the other if I knew it would bring this church the revival that I believe. And there was a ring in his voice and something about that that something resonated on the inside of me. I believe he meant it. I believe God understood that. And he did in that church what no one else had ever done before. He took a building that would seat 650 people and he packed it out. I remember that day. And he did it with vision and passion, motivation, and purpose. Can we do it? Yes, we can. God bless you. Do some more meet and greet before you leave. Some of you folks can't wait to get out of here. This is tearing you up. But love people before you leave. I'd love to have an altar service. We'll do that maybe next Wednesday. It's going to be shorter next Wednesday. God bless you. Take it.